Welcome to the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the birders that pursue them. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Shrobsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Pot. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously, where to find amazing birds. Head on over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, and be sure to sign up to our newsletter on the site so you do not miss out on any of the exciting things that are coming up. Be sure to follow this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on. And please take some time to rate and comment on it. So this is episode 25. And in this episode, we're going to chat to our second overseas guest all the way from British Columbia in Canada, a young birder, photographer, and someone who will clear up the debate as to what is better, beef jerky or biltong. I'm pleased to introduce today's guest, Kalen O'Kenna. He tells us all about his birding adventures in Canada including a story about ice, a bear, a cave, and frostbite. He tells us all about a Southern African birding trip from a unique perspective. So let's dig into today's episode. So yeah, Callan, it's good to have you on the show. Um, so we're going to chat a whole lot about your birding and your trip to South Africa. But before we chat about your birding and that kind of thing, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so yeah, I'm 17 years old going to be 18 this month here. So I'm still a young birder. And yeah, I'm just done high school. And I'm considering different opportunities for jobs and that kind of stuff. And like, in the birding world right now, I'm just working minimum wage and just like, making some money, right. But um, yeah, so coming from British Columbia, we have a bunch of vastly different regions to bird here. We have really tall mountains covered in snow all year long, grasslands, boreal forests, so like a lot of coniferous trees with needles, and then um, the Arctic tundra, which has um, really, really amazing stuff. So no trees up there. It's too cold all year for them. And then besides birding, what else are your interests? So I, um, I skateboard. That's um, how I get around most of the time, even when I'm birding, like Yesterday, I couldn't fit my bike in my mom's car, so I just took took the car down and just skated along the side of the road to, to bird, so it was fun. And then I do art and that kind of stuff, too, so I do a lot of sketching. I bake. I, I made some muffins just this morning, actually. And then, yeah, I'm into, like, hiking, camping, all kinds of outdoor stuff. And then I play some sports, but, like, um, not competitively or anything, just for fun. It's like hockey and stuff in the winter. One thing we were quite surprised with when we first met you and we spoke to you was your taste in music. And I've actually asked you after this, what we're going to do is is we're going to be putting, later in the week, we're going to put a playlist from you so you can give us a bit of a taste of what you listen to. So tell us a little bit about your taste in music. What music are you into? Okay, so yeah, I'm into a lot of indie rock kind of stuff, some harder rock, so... I'll listen, like, my main playlist I listen to has, like, softer stuff, like some Radiohead in there, and then um, louder stuff, like a lot of Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, 
that kind of stuff too. Green Day, Nirvana, Foo Fighters, Hole, all that good stuff. So yeah, and then I'll listen to like rap and stuff like that with my friends, but mostly I, when I'm by myself, I just stick to stick to my alt rock, you know. So you're almost born in the wrong generation, eh? <laughs> yeah, most of my music's definitely from like the '90s, '90s, early 2000s kind of stuff. So, Kalen, um, you being a younger birder, it's always interesting to know how you got into birding. And I think one thing I find interesting about you is, and I, I know this isn't true of everyone, but I just a lot of people when they think there's almost like a stigma attached. Well, if you're a birder. Uh, I don't like the word, but let me just use the word. It's like you're a nerdy person. You kind of one of the, yeah. And and you you're just a normal a normal teenager. You skate. You have good mates and that type of thing. So how did this passion for birding start? So for me, I my parents aren't birders. So a lot of young birders, their parents are birders, and that's how they get into it, or they have like close family friends or something like that. But no, I just kind of picked it up by myself. It's always just been my thing. So um. I've been looking at bird books and stuff like when my dad was trying to read me fairy tales and that kind of stuff when I was a little kid I'd always just go like no nah, I don't want to listen to this can you read me this bird book or whatever or encyclopedia or stuff like that and then my family did do a fair amount of traveling when I was younger so I got to met, meet like local guides and that kind of stuff and they'd show point out birds to me and that would get me really excited and um yeah really I have early memories of um birds like hitting my windows and stuff like that and just sitting with them and being just fascinated about like how intricate their plumage was and how gracefully they flew and stuff like that so yeah it's always birds have always been a major part of my life like my first word was even quack which was funny because my my dad would show me like different animals and what noises they would make but I was always really drawn to the ducks and to to birds so yeah it's been a lifelong thing for me what is your earliest memory in terms of birding? So when I was, I kind of had just started birding in 2015. And um, so I was, I was still really young. I didn't have binoculars. I didn't have a camera. I'd just go out into the, into the forest and try to track down birds. So I was following this Merlin falcon, which actually, do you, you don't have those in South Africa, do you? No, no, we don't have those. Eh? Okay. It's a, it's a, I guess it's just in the Northern Hemisphere. It's in um, Europe too, so I wasn't sure if they migrate all the way down there. But um, yeah, so I was fall. I heard one of those calling, and I was like really excited because I hadn't heard one in um, my local patch there, just behind my house, ever actually. So I was chasing it through the forest, trying to find where it was, and it was harassing a great horned owl, which was my first one I'd seen in the day. And I just sat there, just in shock, just watching those two birds. The owl would duck as it like flew over its head, and I was just sitting there with my mouth wide open, just watching this. So yeah, that was really exciting for me. And I ran home, got my, tried to get my mom and dad and sister to come see, but I couldn't find the tree that owl was in. So, and the merlin had flown off by then, so they couldn't see that magical encounter that I witnessed. And then I can imagine with. You, as with many other teenagers, there are those challenges that come with growing up. Um, has birding provided a bit of an an escape from those things at times? Oh, absolutely. So, like um, in grade eleven, which is like your second last year of high school here, I'd um, every day after school and that kind of stuff, I'd just run up into the hills, and even during lunch break, I'd just go walk down 
to the salt marsh behind our school and just look at the shorebirds, look at the harrier hawk flushing them all up. And it's it's always been, I mean, when you're birding, I wouldn't necessarily, like some people will say, oh, it's super calming. I wouldn't say it's calming, but it brings you back into a place where your body's comfortable, right? Like throughout all of human history, we've hunted, we've searched for things kind of in a natural environment, like in the forest or in nature as humans. And um, I think it brings back those primitive instincts in a way of just like tracking stuff through the through the forest. But it's intense, right? It uses all of your like, all of your vision, all of your hearing, all of your senses are high, highly engaged. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily calming, but what it is, is um, it gets you it gets you out of that like setting. Like if you're working in the office or if you're like just working a normal mindless job, it gets you like back into a place where your body's like happy and um, engaged. And then you've really done well in terms of your Canadian list, your British Columbia list, and also now your, your county list. So tell us a little bit of how your, your lists are going. Okay. So for BC, there's a bunch of major regions. So there's the coast, there's like the pelagic species, same in South Africa, right? You guys are in an oceanic state. So you're, you're on the coast there. So um, here in BC, I haven't really gotten a lot of, I haven't gotten the pelagic. So I haven't been out into the deep ocean to get like albatross, shearwaters, petrels, that kind of stuff. What I have done really well is my local area there in the central Okanagan. I'm sitting at 265 species on eBird right now. I believe I'm fourth place overall for my county so there's three birders ahead of me right now and there's like the northern regions of the province where if you know north american geography you know the rocky mountains cut through cut our continent in half and there's the west the birds west of the rockies and the birds east of the rockies so in northern bc you can jump over the rockies and then you get those eastern birds mixing with our western ones so I'm missing a lot of those Eastern songbirds, the warblers, like um, say black and white warbler, black-throated green warbler. I do not have those for my BC list. So my BC overall placing is not not super not super high. But once I get up there and I get to those regions I haven't reached yet, then I'll be doing a lot better for my BC list. And then obviously being a, a young bird, I'm always interested to know how other people accept you as being a young birder so let's ask the question how accepting of your friends and also people that are your age how do they you know how do they accept you as being a young birder so um my friends actually appreciate like i mean of course there's people that judge me for it but if you're confident enough in what you do then people aren't going to judge you for it people will admire that so for me like Sure, as a kid, I got teased for it a lot, but like now, these past couple years, no one really, no one bugs me for it too much. Like sometimes people will try to tease me for it, but with bullying, like as soon as people know you're confident in what you do, they'll they'll lay off you because they're like, okay, well, there's no, this isn't fun. Like this person's just like, they're they're happy doing what they're doing, right? So my friends admire that about me. They admire that I have something I'm interested in, and yeah, I mean the only the only thing that comes with that is like then other like some older birders actually will will see me as like a teenager more as more than someone who's like a I don't know really really intense 
person and like really um kind of professional almost it's like they expect me to be not a teenager they expect me to act completely like an adult and like I'll wear t-shirts with like big bright graphics on them and that kind of stuff and like the way I talk is a lot more casual and less um less kind of eloquent than than they do and they'll tell me things like oh you're like you're tarnishing the birding community or whatever and stuff like that which I don't I don't think I don't think is very it doesn't make a lot of sense because if you're a birder you should want other birders because then they'll fight for things that you're fighting for like protection of important habitats important bird areas so I think the youth should be (laughs) definitely more included in a lot of a lot of birding kind of decision making a little bit like and that kind of stuff and have a bit more respect from older birders but then of course there's the opposite side to that too and there's a lot of older birders that are super excited to see the youth interested in that and they they helped me so much learning about birds they helped me so much I can't I can't um really describe how much my perspective on birding shifted when I met like a lot of older birders that taught me about just ID skills like where to bird how to bird all that kind of stuff so that got me a long ways and then how does your girlfriend find your birding how does she find that being dating a birder um it has its challenges there's a lot of times when it's like we're gonna go on a hike or we're gonna go camping or something and it's like are you coming camping with me or are you going birding and I'm just there? So it's, it's a balance, right? You gotta, you gotta figure out that, that way to just kind of come back, come into the moment, stop like obsessing. You see a warbler fly by. It's like, Oh, what species was that? And that's like, okay, I'll just let it pass and come back to her instead of just um, obsessing constantly but then, and then you can share moments that are really pure. Like um, we we were just we just got back from camping in Revelstoke, which is a small town in the mountains here, and we had some great moments with birds. Like we had this beautiful black and orange American red start, full, full adult, and I was able to show them to her, and that was a really that was a really tender moment. That was beautiful, but um. Yeah, she can get frustrated with me sometimes, but she appreciates that side of me too. She appreciates that I have something that I'm passionate and driven about. So I don't just like sit at home all day and play video games and that kind of stuff. Like I'm out, I'm active and I'm really doing something I love. So she, she appreciates that too. Birds of Paradise Bed and Breakfast is situated in the rural town of Ishawi in KwaZulu-Natal, South Africa. The property borders the well-known Glinza Forest. The bed and breakfast is approximately one kilometer from the aerial boardwalk. Over 65 bird species have been seen in the forest, including the sought-after spotted ground thrush and the eastern bronze nape pigeon, amongst other special species. The bed and breakfast was opened in 2003 and is made up of two self-catering rooms and eight bed and breakfast rooms. All the rooms are air-conditioned, have ceiling fans and heaters for your comfort. There are barbecue facilities, a tennis court, and a swimming pool. If you are looking for a birding getaway that will allow you to see many special species, you need to look no further than Birds of Paradise Bed and Breakfast. To book your birding escape, email 
reservations at birdsofparadise.co.za or head on over to our directory on the Birding Life website and search for Birds of Paradise Bed and Breakfast to get more information about the special place. So you have a really cool story about a cave, a close encounter with a bear, and being rescued by rescuers. So tell us all about this. I know this even made the Canadian press. So tell us the story. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it made our local our local news here in um, Kelowna, BC, on Castanet. So um, yeah, what happened was I was hiking, just kind of in the area I normally hike above the Rose Valley Regional Park. So there's this trail you can start out on, but then I kept going because I wanted to find a way down to the lake because I wanted to get all the ducks on my um, on my day list, right? You you guys will all understand this. That um, the people that were interviewing me, they didn't really necessarily understand all of the complications that as a birder, we want to get all those species on our list. So yeah, I was trying to find a way down this cliff and I ended up, kind of not considering so I, I made a bunch of mistakes that day first mistake I made was I didn't pack enough food second mistake I made is I didn't pack enough water and then I didn't pack any warm clothes because it was it was November so here in November November's getting chilly there's snow high up in the mountains there was snow where I was so my shoes got soaked through and then I was hiking for a long time, so my feet were numb for many, many hours. And then coming down there, I um, I started realizing this is getting sketchy. Like the path I chose, I was walking down a coyote trail. So coyotes are like, if you're from South Africa, you don't know what a coyote is. It's like a little, little wild dog. So I was walking down a trail they'd made through the bush, and they were going down this cliff. And then I kind of lost the trail. So I was picking my own way down, but part of this slope like actually ended up kind of collapsing down and I slid for a bit and then I ended up on a ledge and there was piles of bear dung there and this cave where they'd be hibernating. So it's getting right around the time of the year to get into their caves. They're all fed. So this was an active den. So I was like, oh my God, I need to get out of here. So I was get my my heart was going faster and when you're when you're under a lot of stress and under a lot of pressure you can get shaky so I was like realizing I'm like okay I'm not in a good situation I'm here I'm not thinking rationally I'm not stepping carefully I'm gonna get hurt if I keep going like this so I just sat down where I was and I couldn't go back up because that part of the trail I was on had kind of collapsed down and there wasn't a way to get back up that. I squeezed between two big boulders there. I probably wouldn't be able to get back through. So I decided it was time to call for help. So yeah, I called search and rescue. They were able to get to me, but they didn't get to me till it was late. So I got to that spot around 3 p.m. And then they got to me around 9 p.m. So I was sitting up there for six hours in the cold and the dark without food or water. And that was really, that was really scary. That, that is not something I'd want to relive. I ended up, they, they warmed me up. We built a little fire there and then, um, 
got me down. They rappelled me down with like rock climbing gear. Got me out of that park by 2 a.m. So it's a long time up there. They brought me new socks or like fresh socks that weren't wet. So I was able to warm up, get my get my core temperature back up and get ready to hike out of there. So yeah, we were were able to get there safely out of there safely. I wasn't injured other than I got really bad frostbite on my feet. So now my feet are kind of like a weird grayish color, which is kind of gross. So yeah, don't don't get stuck on cliffs for too long. It will not be very pretty. So I learned a lot of lessons that day about like packing, packing carefully, packing smart, and um, really making a plan before you just jump into it. Because as much as it's fun to go on an adventure, if you're by yourself, you can get into risky situations and not make rational decisions. If you have another person to bounce ideas off of, you're going to do a lot better. So yeah, that's, that's that story. So that's always a good one to tell. Um, in 2019, you visited South Africa, um, which I'm really interested to hear a little bit about. Um, so before we chat about the places you visited and the birds you you got to see, I want to ask, how did the preparation process look like? How did you prepare yourself for the trip? Because something that was quite interesting was a lot of the birds you saw, you were you were well prepared to identify them in terms of sight as well as um, how they sound uh, how they sounded. So. How did you prepare yourself for the trip to South Africa? So as much as you South Africans all have your bird lasso, right? We have eBird here. So eBird has a way you can do a little quiz thing. So if you open up eBird, you can scroll to the bottom there and it says photo plus sound quiz. So you can type in your area you're staying and just take that quiz over and over and over randomly generate all the species for the time of year that you're there. So whenever I'd be in school and I wouldn't want to be doing work, I'd be like, okay, I'll just practice bird bird ID in South Africa. So that's how I got really good at that. And as far as preparing for like packing for the trip and making a plan of where we wanted to go, I was going with my family. So my dad, he works a long, long shifts every day. And when he gets home, he likes to plan out our vacations and plan out exactly all the fine details where we're staying and that kind of stuff to make it to get like the most out of it as possible. So yeah, that was our that was our preparation. And then, how long were you guys in South Africa for? We were there for a while, actually, uh, for the summer, pretty much. So from June through August, so like I think coming up on almost three months. Yeah, it was a long time. So what were some of the places that you visited? Well, you know, obviously we can't go through every place, but what were the, the highlights of your trip to South Africa as well as what were birds you saw in those places? So some of the highlights of Southern Africa were um, when we were in the KwaZulu-Natal province, or state, I guess, we got to go to the Drakensberg there, and that was that was amazing. Just those open grasslands and mountains and stuff. So when, when I was there, there was a day when my parents went horseback riding and I chose to just bird the grassland around um, the resort we were staying in. And I followed this secretary bird through the grassland for a very long time. He was, it was a young one. So he was just um, striding around, didn't really mind my presence there. And I got really close 
looks at him and that's a bird I've I've known about since I was very very young and my dad will tell you like when um when I was a little kid I'd walk through our our little lawn there like a secretary bird and whatever to a grasshopper or something like that I'd grab it and yeah just uh that's that's a bird I've wanted to see since since pretty much since I could walk actually I've been talking about that bird and yeah we we went to a couple different countries in southern Africa actually we went all the way north to southern Mozambique Botswana and we did a little trip into Zimbabwe for a day as well Victoria Falls and so I got to see a really diverse array of kind of the birds southern Africa has to offer of course there were birds I missed but I think some of my favorite ones were in the Chobe National Park in Botswana. We got to see the African ground hornbill. And again, that's just, it's one of these just birds that it's, they're just mesmerizing to look at, right? I got to go to Kirstenbosch Garden, see all the sunbirds there. And just, it's so funny. They're, they're so closely, like the niche that the sunbirds fill so similar to our hummingbirds and yet they look so completely different so it was, it was really cool to see all the different species of those we went to saint lucia got some shore birding in i got my chestnut banded plover which was one i was really hoping to get and then um saw hoopos <laughs> i know they're not i guess they're not like rare birds for you guys but the green wood hoopo was just amazing like they just kind of how they how they climb up the trees and that kind of stuff just kind of like a woodpecker and that bright red bill is super fun yeah those were those were some of my best moments from birding southern africa there you know i think one thing i love about what you just are saying you're speaking about the secretary bird and it's amazing how birds almost almost link us you know you're all the way up up there in in canada um and yet there was a connection to Africa through that bird. And it's, it's just amazing how there's that, connect, that, that connection through, through birding. Also, just, you know, what I love hearing with you speaking, like a, a, a wood hoopoe, for example, is a bird that, you know, if I go birding, I'd see it many of the times I go. And it's almost, it's so exciting to hear, like, that you almost, you saw that bird through fresh eyes. And it's, 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 it's really, really exciting. So, you know, if you had to pick a bird, I know it's difficult, but if you had to pick a bird, what was your favorite Southern African species and why would you say that? So besides the secretary bird and the ground hornbill, I think the crested barbet, like <laughs> they're super friendly actually. Like, well, obviously if you're a lizard or small bird, they're not going to be super friendly, but they're super approachable and they're just so striking. Like here in Canada, we don't have many birds that's that are that like colorful and patterned and they have they have their little crest too and they they were just so fun like they'd sit right on a post there and you could walk right up to the one and they they think that they're totally totally the boss in that situation and they're not gonna like be bothered by you and they're like oh yeah whatever this is my territory so i had a lot of fun photographing them and then the Taracos were just stunning. Like I saw a purple crested Taraco. And then one other species that's not coming to me right now in Zimbabwe um, at Victoria Falls. I was shallow, shallows Taraco. Big crest and that 
red skin around the eye that that bird was absolutely stunning too and then they're sharing habitat with the trumpeter hornbills and white-fronted bee eaters which was amazing to see all these just giant birds <laughs> floating around the canopy up there because here all all our our big birds other than our raptors like we don't we don't have species like those like we don't have niches to be occupied by stuff like hornbills and turacos like we don't have all that fruit and stuff that those birds are feeding off of so i guess the southern american equivalent to that is like the parrots and that kind of stuff and macaws but in canada we don't have all that food up in the canopy so when you go up into the upper levels of the forest it's just finches rather than turacos and hornbills and barbets and all that kind of stuff, which is super exciting for me to see as someone from North America. And then in terms of the guards that you encountered, you obviously went around a lot of the the reserves and just different places. How did you find the guards? Um, because, you know, a lot of people come to South Africa to see lions and leopards and elephants the big five um a lot of people come where you came as a birder you know how accommodating were were they for you as a birder so it really depended on the luck of which guide you got we got some guides that were so happy and so thrilled actually to see to get to show off their skills because they spend a lot of time learning all the birds right even as guides and then 95 percent of the time they're just working with people that want to exactly see an elephant see a leopard see a hyena that kind of stuff so i one of the guys he actually took me out when my parents were having lunch there he's like okay let's go because he he wanted to show someone he'd found these um giant eagle owls and he knew i'd be so thrilled to see one so we went out at lunch there and um tracked him down and that was really fun for both of us he got to see how happy i was to see that bird and we also went and spent some time looking at cysticolas and all that kind of stuff that they can't normally do so yeah a lot of uh, the mass majority of our guides were super knowledgeable that about that kind of stuff we had a couple maybe that weren't as much but they were always happy to give it their best shot trying to id birds for me and if they didn't know what it was they'd just be like They'd basically just tell me, like, yeah, I'm still like, I can't help you with this. But they'd always try to, like, look at my guide if I had one with me and piece it together with me. So, yeah, all, all the guides I had were super lovely and super nice. But, um, yeah, there was a bit of some of the guides just really didn't know that they're birds at all. And then I'm always interested to know, like, you obviously had this impression of what South Africa was like before you came. Um, how different was the reality of South Africa? I'm not, I'm not asking from a birding perspective. I'm just talking about South Africa as a country. So, so before you came, there's an impression you have. And when you came, how, how different was it? And what differences were there? So I've, I'm fortunate enough to have a couple of friends from South Africa. One of them East, one of them East Indian, one of them's white. And, um, they, they filled me in on, um, so I wasn't completely, I wasn't completely surprised when I went there, but what I saw in like, um, just kind of the situations, a big amount of the people there living in, like when we were driving through Cape Town or Johannesburg, just all these townships that are just in such like poor condition kind of, 
and just like such a large population of the cities living in these conditions and it's just completely normal right like you just drive past it you see it every day you see it your whole life it's what you grow up with and then to me as a Canadian we're like sure we have a homeless population and sure we have a lot of people living in like below the poverty line and that kind of stuff but like just the scale of it was really to me quite shocking and then um in terms of South African food did you uh, what South African foods did you get to try so I tried I think the boar war the sausage and then the biltong like the jerky and then a lot of different so when we were staying at the reserves they had options to try like the, some of the game too which was some of it was really good and some of it was really not great. Like I, rem- I remember the kudu was absolutely amazing. That was some of the best meat I've ever eaten in my life. And just for the record, what is better, beef jerky or biltong? I know this is might get you a bit of trouble with some of your mates, but what is better? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it's hard to compare them. I, I personally just... Growing up with beef jerky, like, biltong was, it was exciting. It was something new. So I have a really positive association with that now. So I got to say, I, I really like the flavor in that. It's a lot more flavorful than our beef jerky. So I'm going with, I'm going with biltong on this one. And then you also spoke about the cream soda. It's very different. The green cream soda. I think your cream soda is not green. It's like see-through, if I'm not correct. And you said the cream soda is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the South African cream soda was definitely, that was new. I haven't had I don't know, anything like that before. Yeah, ours is either diet pink or it's just see-through. So yeah, yours was definitely pretty interesting. And then just the last question, um, in terms of someone listening now, whether they be a new birder or maybe just someone wants to improve in their birding, what what tips would you give to anyone who's listening, anyone who's listening to this who wants to grow as a birder? So for me, what was most helpful is when I started going out with the birding club here and really meeting people that knew what they were doing. They knew how to bird, they knew where to bird, and they knew like um, knew the calls and stuff like that. And that was really like inspiring. It's like, okay, so you can only really get so good by yourself without any assistance from other people just studying a field guide and going to different places and hoping to find birds. I think what's important is meeting people and figuring out how they bird and then and then from there carving a niche into the birding community in your area. And I think another thing with you is um, is you're always birding. I mean, you're out birding all the time and it's I think your knowledge is always, you're always staying sharp as a birder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just kind of like if you're on a walk or something like that, just noticing what's around you, noticing if there's something calling, what's calling, if there's something calling you can't identify, go try to track it down if you have a chance to, if you're with people, maybe get an audio recording of it or something like that and go home and play through different bird calls it could have been and try to piece it together. Because like birding is in, in a sense like, you gotta you gotta learn everything about nature to be a good birder. So you gotta learn the trees, you gotta learn the habitat, birds migration and stuff like that. So it's like piecing together a puzzle of the whole like kind of biosphere and where does the bird fit into that puzzle, kind of. So yeah, the 
those are some other things to just kind of keep track of while you're brooding. Okay, then. Thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. We, I'm sure we'll chat again sometime. Maybe we can do something next time a little bit more on Canadian birding. But it's been great chatting to you. And yeah, I encourage guys to follow you on Instagram. Um, we'll put the link into the comment section of this of this below. Um, but it's been awesome having you on the show. Yeah, awesome, Adam. You know, it's been fun. I appreciate the help when I was in South Africa. You will get me together with some good guides and really have a lot of fun with that. So yeah, thank you once again. Thanks for having me. And it's great to be on here. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life Project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders, and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a life list while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.